0: Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse, and I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. Well, I am Josh. You like, are Josh. Let's get that clear. But unlike the previous Josh, I have a bit of facial hair going that, on. That is true. Your facial he hair game has, is much he better. He has hair. yes. Now, here's the thing though, Jesse. I I have this uh, saying that my dad used to tell me because my dad has the same hairline I do. He's like, you can't have hair and brains at the same time. Oh, quickly. Uh, I'm just, let's pause this. I'm going to go to the barber
1: real quick because I think I need that. yeah my my, I, my problem is that my hair is thinning i'm sure you can see that um and but my my wife karina has this thing where she loves to play with people's hair like she used to play with her mum's hair and her yeah. mum has thick african hair yeah. and i don't but nevertheless karina still loves to play with something so i re- if i'll be honest if I could have my way I would shave it off like like you have, because I think it's
0: cleaner to have a shaved head than to have thinning hair. But she just won't let me. So You see, my yeah. wife plays with my beard. It's like a comforting thing, like a teddy bear almost. Okay. Um, but the challenge is that when it comes to shaving your head, you've got to like shave your head with like the razor at least two times a week. Okay. So it becomes very onerous. Yep. Are you, so you're
1: a razor guy? You're not like a shaving, like an
0: electric yeah, shaver guy? I'm a razor guy. guy. So I, okay. I get like the shaving cream and cover my head and then get the razor and go for gold. How do you do the back? Because I've always wondered I, that. how to... Do- I grab my razor. This would be really funny for those who are like watching a video version. I grab the razor as you normally would if you're like, I don't know, shaving your face. Yeah. Except you kind of hold it upside down. Oh, okay. And then just get your hand behind and go up. And oh, the my first goodness. once or twice, it's a little bit scary. Yeah. And so the first time I got my wife to try to do it, but she just was too cautious. Like sometimes you've got to be rough. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, yeah. So just after that, just went all the time, fine. No issues. I do cut wow. myself occasionally, but generally yep. it's on the front of my head where you've got like, you're closer to where the scalp bone is. So, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Oh,
1: I never knew that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so, hey, guys. Uh, we are Josh and Jesse today. And we actually will be Josh and Jesse for the next few weeks. But we are, we've are we got a different Josh uh, oh. today. Um, Yay. Uh, I, I would say a handsomer Josh. No, no I wouldn't say that. I, I All Joshes are handsome in their own way. Um, but definitely a, a more ginger Josh. Um, this is true. We're taking <laughs> over the world we Josh's. <laughs> Joshes. Exactly. It was just such a beautiful coincidence that we also have a Josh in our team. It's a shame that Laura's name isn't Josh, though if no, it no. was, I think that would be maybe problematic, but I don't know about that. Um, but why so- do we have
0: different Joshes, Jesse?
1: That's a great question. Let me answer it right now. Um, <laughs> so, if you guys if you guys have been paying attention the last few, well, actually, few months, really, you'll know that Josh uh, and his beautiful wife are pregnant, and they are actually uh, pretty well due right now. So, we had a bit of a chat a little while ago, and we said, hey, look, when you guys are getting close to being due um, – will just get you to step off the team so that you can focus on like more important things aka the baby and um but we we thought if if we're gonna do that we could be also a little bit clever and a little bit uh yeah a little bit smart and we could fill the void with Josh's so you guys don't even notice that he's gone but I don't think except, that will actually work
0: except but, if you're watching like a YouTube version or you know yeah. Josh's voice inside and out. Yes, this is true. This is true. It let's, would have been, let's just be clear. We didn't say to Josh, "Please step aside.
1: <laughs> Please we leave want to
0: fill the seat." Please leave. He said, "Hey guys, <laughs> when I'm having a baby, I would like to be able to spend time with my baby and my wife." Which is totally understandable. Y- yes. Even though I
1: think podcasts are more important than babies, but maybe that's just my priorities. That's because your podcast is your baby. That's true. I have no, I have no pregnant <laughs> wife, so I guess I don't really know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so even though Josh Stothers is stepping out for a few weeks um, to, to focus on the baby and, and everything like that, uh, the Josh void will be filled. So our, our very own, um, what, what do you call yourself? The bearded, beardy Josh? The bearded, bearded pastor, ginger. The bearded ginger. Is, is stepping in for this week and we will have a few other Joshes. Uh, it's almost like a Josh buffet for the next few weeks. There's going to be a different Josh every single week. So uh,
0: I hope you're excited because I am. So how about, how about we give people a bit of a, a game to play when right. they're watching this episode or when it drops and we have the, the link on Facebook or whatever that is, they need to guess who the next Joshes might be. Oh,
1: yes. All right. So, put put in the comments, um, if you're watching this on YouTube or on Facebook or sending us an email, who do you think the next Josh might be? We do, dude, I know a lot of Josh's. It seemed like for a time in the 80s and 90s, everybody was calling their baby Josh. Well,
0: Josh's for like 30 years has been one of the top 10 most popular boys' names. So it's crazy. It's, there's going to be a lot of us out there. And as we were brainstorming the possibility of Josh's, I think we came up with like 12 options without even thinking. Dude, it was. It was heck easy. It was so easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's cool. Um, the other thing that we got to let you guys know is that we're actually three episodes away from our end of season break. Um, so we have this week's episode, next week, and then our final week, which is on the 24th of June, June, yes, will be our final episode. I just had to look at my calendar uh, and remind myself which is the sixth month of the year. Um, So, yeah, episode uh, 112, 113, 114. After 114, we will be taking a break for a month, for the month of July, and we will be back on the 5th of August. So I just want you to prepare yourself for the eventuality of our... We're not we're not breaking up, we're just taking a break. So Yeah.
0: But the benefit is for those who have come to the podcast later in, you know, podcast history. Yep. That month is perfect time to go back and binge the episodes they've missed. Absolutely. Absolutely. People tell me all the time about
1: how like they've started listening and then they go all the way back to like episode one and I cringe because I want to delete that episode because I think it's so cringy. But I'm like, I can't because it's episode one. So if you want to go back and cringe with me, and Josh Stothers, um, you can you can totally do that.
0: Um, but hey, there were some really there were some good episodes early on as well. Um, there especially were, some there those, were some great episodes. Some of the yeah. some of the first twenty episodes, which is like content within, I suppose, the Adventist circles that needed yep. to be spoken about that people were having conversations about, but not publicly.
1: Yes, yes. And that is what we strive to continue to do, uh, including today, um, because today we are going to be talking about spiritual giftings, about um, abilities and uh, special talents that people have in the church and some of the tensions that we can see in the midst of that. Um, This was this was your idea, Josh. So how would you sort of describe where you came from with this idea and sort
0: of what it looks like in your mind? So I'll give you the the short version of this is the whole idea that if you're a teacher, you must be in children's ministry roles. Um, That's just, I suppose, everyone's preconception. If you're a teacher, you're good with kids. Um, Hopefully that's the case. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) I've actually done some spiritual gifts tests with people and found that a lot of teachers don't necessarily have the spiritual gift of teaching. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Wow. I, I would love so, to dig into more into that. Why do you have a theory about why that is? Well, do you want to save it or do you want to talk about it now? Let's dig
0: into that in a little little moment. But before we do that, we've got to do something that we always have to do on Burn the Haystack, and what is that, Jesse?
1: Oh, that is, of course, the question of the week. Does that sound like, that sound like Josh? It certainly looks like Josh. <laughs> if it was Josh, he would have his hands up in the air. The question of
0: the- Alright, Anyway, sorry. We love you, Josh. I hope, you, I hope go, you're not listening. It's like a Mexican wave question of the week.
1: <laughs> Bro, I reckon if he could Mexican wave all the time, he would. He's That's just yeah. like how hype he likes to be. Just hype everything. Yeah. Okay, Um. so the question of the week is... <clears throat> For you specifically, what was the best and the worst thing about being a kid (laughs) when you were a kid?
0: Oh, this is going to sound really odd to start with, but I actually think the best thing was the lack of like Wi-Fi, broadband type internet. Uh We had Uh dial-up and... I think the beauty of that was that it meant you couldn't spend time just on devices. So we would get out and get dirty by playing outside and would be out, you know, actually getting fresh air and exercise. So I think that was one of the best things because we got to know our neighbors really well. Mm. Um, We would do silly things and ride bikes through like underground, almost sewer systems, um, we'd, <laughs> that's sort of very it sort of, uh, yes. feeling <laughs> we'd, we'd play things like, you know, cricket, but not on the Xbox or the PlayStation. Right. Yep. Um, we'd actually do it ourselves. Um, and actually I, I miss that aspect of being a kid. Um, yep. just kind of having the ability also to just go out into society without the fears that perhaps we have these days of safety to the same extent. Um, yeah. the worst thing about being a kid when I was a kid. Let me think on that one while you answer part of the question as well. Okay.
1: okay. I know this is a sort of question that you could either go like really mundane or really dark with like the worst thing about being a kid, but whichever way I, I reckon when I was a kid, I was uh, 200% more creative than I am now. Like I, I feel like I, I was, I was untethered. In many ways, because as a kid, you don't have the, I guess, the pressure of education or experience weighing you down um, or the anxieties that revolve around like kind of having a conception of the world and its problems and, you know, your own vulnerabilities and all that sort of stuff. You have that to a certain degree. But when it comes to just like my creativity, I felt like I feel I feel like I have lost so much of sort of that original wonder of like just being able to create things and being able to just mundane things like damming up little river creeks and you know creating those cool little dams or a little uh, uh, fort in the in the forest or or pretending like you know your your knights or whatever or the things like drawing and making things and building and like I don't really do many of those things anymore partly because like I don't know it feels kind of like that's a kiddie thing to do, but even the spirit in which I did it, there was so much more wonder and like possibility and like I'm creating stuff and you know, I'm slowly being exposed to different films and television that kind of expand my worldview. And now as an adult, I kind of feel like, oh yeah, I've seen most of it. I understand it. You know, it I don't I don't feel that sense of wonder and creativity as much as I did when
0: I was a kid. And I yeah, that was great. Yeah. If, yeah. if I now answer the worst thing, um, I think when I was a kid, I was really probably to some extent upset and annoyed by the inability we had as a family to travel. Um, right. I recall we would maybe have very short day trips as a family during school holidays and those sorts of things. I recall having one decent family trip to the Gold Coast um, and I always at that time probably wanted more of the travel experience, either nationally or internationally. I had friends that had traveled overseas or around Australia and we never did any of that. Um, but the benefit of it now is that I can do that now. Well, I could have, you know, three months ago done that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I can now do it with my own experience and remembrance and actually understand the cultural joy of those sorts of experiences. So mm. I suppose that's kind of a good bad combination but that's the that's what you're going to get from me today.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think part of yeah, part of me definitely agrees and resonates with that. Like to this day I remember my family's the biggest trip my family ever did was to like the Grampians in in Victoria. I went you know? there like every year. That's that was like <laughs> an hour and a half, two hours from my home. <laughs> yeah. We that's that's all that's all it was. We did the Grampians, we did the Great Ocean Road, we camped, we fed Rosellas and King Parrots in the caravan parks along the way. Yeah. Uh we stayed up all night listening to koalas scream at each other. Um yeah. I think I think my The worst thing about being a kid is probably around the same lines but maybe slightly different in that I think the worst thing was the lack of control over going to do things and you know hanging out with my friends and all that sort of stuff as the eldest of four you know we had um, all sorts of different priorities and of course being just a kid you're not really going to say hey I want to do this and your parent, like some families, are a little bit like that. I remember having friends who would just kind of, you know, say one thing, and the parents would fall over themselves to make it happen. But that certainly wasn't true with, with my parents. We kind of yeah. slotted into what my parents wanted to do because they were the grown ups. And so, if that meant long car rides to wherever or having to wait around, and you know, not really having much control over my day to day life, I think that's probably probably was the worst thing for me. But I think to flip that into a positive um, is pretty easy because I recognize now that that lack of control in some ways led to higher levels of creativity when it came to the things that I was creative in, whether it was writing or drawing or doodling or whatever.
0: I'm I'm just going to ask a question now. Is your lack of creativity now because you have too much control?
1: Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think about this, like when it comes to even like I have a huge bookcase, like if you're watching this, you can see my bookcase. It's full of board games, yes, but it's also mostly full of books. Um, I, I, I think I've only read
0: maybe 20% of the books that I actually own, probably. Uh, so I'm just going to move my my camera for a moment because my bookcase is over here.
1: There you go. So this, yep. is,
0: this is chockers full of books. Yep, And literally the only books that I have read are here <laughs> yeah yeah like everything else is like i'll get to that one day yeah yeah yeah
1: you go you go to big camp and you're at the abc and you're like oh, i'll pick this up or you go to a sale yeah. and you're like, oh this looks good but the reality is i would much rather watch youtube on this or watch netflix or whatever um play a video game which is terrible because like there are certain things that i know oh yes i will feel a lot better if i do this exercise reading um eating doing well. some sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating well, doing some sort of creative pursuit that is actually going to enhance who I am as a person. But because I have control over my life, most of the time I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to watch a YouTube video. Yep. Whatever. You know, it's, yep. it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So, so possibly yeah. the worst thing about being a kid is also the best thing about being a kid. I
0: don't know. Yeah. In a way, a, there is a little bit of that, yeah. but I didn't want to quite answer in that way. Yeah. So.
1: I I would say look, and again, could get, get you could get dark with this, but you could say that the lack of control, uh, being a kid, it could be a really terrible thing if there are people around you that are not that don't have your best interests at heart. That's where abuse happens and all that sort of yeah. thing. So that 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 is as a sucky thing about being a kid if that is your experience. But I had a family around me who you know wanted the best for me, and I was never exposed to that. So that's a really good thing. That I have friends who. Had the same circumstances, but the people who had
0: power over them didn't have their best interests at heart. That mm. that's that's rough. Um, so yeah. using using your lack of creativity now as a, a springboard, when we talk about, I suppose, the the challenges of being an adult, you know, you've you've now got control, but the lack of creativity juices flowing. Do you actually know what your spiritual gifts are? <laughs>
1: I have taken about
0: 300 spiritual gifts.
1: And and they're always different. (laughs) They're always different. So no, I have no flipping clue what my spiritual gifts are. Like I have an inkling about what I like and what I do that when I do that thing, people go, oh, you're pretty good at that Or that. or it goes well. But sometimes I feel like as a pastor, you're kind of required to do a little bit of everything. And so to a certain degree, I feel like, I'm a little bit good at a couple things and I'm kind of average at most of everything else. Um, So no, I don't really know what my spiritual
0: giftings are. Not really. I will see for me, like my spiritual giftings, I think are fairly well known, not just by others, but by me. Um, So mine would be things around like administration. Um, So that being organized type of thing, um, when it comes to, say, church life, you know, running board meetings and getting the agenda together and making sure that the minutes are all well compiled and reading through the treasurer's report and understanding it, um, you know. Man, I wish I had that gift because I do not have a clue when I read the treasurer's report. I just I look reckon, at it and go, oh, yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, I reckon every minister should do like an intro to business type Unit, which yep. will include things like how to read a finance report. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So administration would be like one of my top spiritual gifts. Um, I generally come out with a, a fairly high spiritual gift of leadership, um, okay. which is interesting because I would suggest that in my experience, most ministers in at least the Adventist system don't have the spiritual gift of leadership. Interesting. Why, why do you say that? Well, you were at Avondale with me, weren't you? Yeah. Um, We started at the same
1: time, but you graduated two years ahead because you did a two-year degree. Hey.
0: I graduated one year ahead because I did a two-year degree in three years. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, So this this isn't against Avondale, but I think this is generally Adventist education when it comes to ministry is that we like to teach theology. Yep. We teach a little bit of kind of the pastoral care aspects, but we don't teach leadership.
1: I, yes, no, They we don't.
0: <laughs> that's so, not
1: even, that's not even, I agree with you. That's a fact.
0: Yeah. And so I, like I was having a chat with my ministerial secretary about uh, an issue I was having um, and he asked a question about, you know, uh, do you think that you or the other pastor or the other pastor could have the ability to lead through that? And I said, no, and it's not our fault or it's not his fault or it's not her fault because, we don't teach our pastors how to lead. We expect them to know how to lead, but we don't give them any of the skills. Uh huh.
1: When I um, graduated Avondale and I started in New Zealand, I thought I was done. You know, I thought I had learned everything <laughs> that I needed to learn to get into ministry. But when I actually got into ministry, I discovered that I had some serious lacking in these areas, particularly around leadership and managing people. Yeah. And I just had no idea how to do it. And so I, I was forced to, you know, read great Craig Rochelle or Andy Stanley or John Maxwell or whoever, you know, it was at the time because I yeah. realised actually my education has not even begun <laughs> when it comes to some yeah. of this stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like there's actually a strong, um, for ministry students at least, there's a fairly strong placement type component, yep. but it still doesn't quite cover all that it could. Uh, it certainly can't cover all that it it should. Um, and that's simply because there are things that you might need in ministry in year 20 that don't exist when you're a student. Yep. Um, and you and I are experiencing that now as ministers. We're, we're trying to minister, pastor, lead through a global pandemic of which no one was preparing for like we didn't yeah. know what this would be like. so we're, we're making it up as we go along. every leader across the world is making it up as they go along and that's okay. you know you can't you can't prepare for everything but mm-hmm. you can prepare for for a lot of things.
1: Can I make a somewhat controversial statement and you tell me what you think? I would argue most Adventist churches don't want their minister, to be a leader leader in the sense that you might expect a CEO to be a leader or a
0: school principal to be a leader? Well, here's the challenge. I think established Adventist churches, and I want to distinguish between the established church versus the church plant versus the established Adventist versus the younger um, Adventist Christian as well. I think a lot of people say the age 30 and under are uh, looking for more of that leader mentality. And I think that's because of what you were sharing just before around, we've got access to YouTube, we've got access to Instagram and Facebook. We see the likes of a Brian Houston or a Stephen Furtick or a Craig Rochelle or a Kerry Newhoff or a Rick Warren. And we see what leadership in ministry looks like. And we're like, ah, oh, that's awesome. Pastors can do that. Yeah, but the challenge is the pastoral system within Adventism is very different to the pastoral system that those people are involved in, and so there is this kind of ecclesial authority that is given to pastors in the rest of Christendom, whereas in Adventism the authority is given essentially to the business meeting, um, yes, to the body of the church. Um, it's interesting. I know that we're I know the topic that we're going to have, but I just want to flag this with you uh, in prep. Pairing for this and the possibility of other topics, um, one of the topics that I wanted to, wanted to look at that we're not looking at is the role the church manual has to play. Um, and the church manual as we have it exists in its current form since about 1932, Sheesh. right? Yep. Now, it originally was asked to be written up in the 1880s Um, But there was a lot of hesitancy at that time and had been since the establishment of the Adventist Church in 1863. Um, And the beginning of our church manual actually states, however, when the proposal to place the articles in permanent form as a church manual came before the 1883 general conference session, delegates rejected the idea they feared a manual might formalize the church and take from its pastors their individual freedom to deal with matters of order as they desired. Um, And so in our kind of church context, we don't have that same authority as the likes of a Stephen Furtick or a Brian Houston, because we now have formalized it in the way of a church manual. Those churches that uh, you know, other denominations have which are more their own entities and they almost have a membership to a denomination, there is that authority given to the the lead pastor. Mm. I know pastors that are actually taking away pastor, like the lead pastor is no longer the pastor because of the pastoral care requirements or not requirements but expectations um, and so they will take on the term lead visionary rather than lead pastor. Yep. Um, and here's the other thing, I, I actually think that you might – find that probably 50% of Adventist pastors, possibly even pastors generally, don't have the gift of pastoring.
1: Okay. All right. Gift of pastoring. Yeah. So you mean like the shepherding type pastoring? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like in that what spiritual way? care. They, they are not comfortable or confident mm. in coming alongside people and ministering to the heart needs so much. Now they might be able to teach theology and biblical doctrine and all that kind uh, of thing, but how do I deal with a family if their, you know, their child is self-harming, you know, yeah. that could be too overwhelming for, for me as a pastor or for pastors generally yeah. that we'd rather avoid that. Um, and so we then default into other areas. Yeah. That's interesting. I find that so
1: fascinating because, okay, so for this weekend, this uh, weekend past, um, we in New Zealand have just started opening up our Adventist churches, or all churches, for um, divine services, worship and all that sort of stuff.
0: Limitations, but we can just, do it. <laughs> you just said something that really annoyed me, Jesse. What? I just by the term "divine service"? Divine
1: service. <laughs> I don't. I've never used that term at my church. We just say like worship experience. But yes, I. It's just one of those. It's just one of those very cliched terms. But you know exactly what you mean when you
0: say divine service. Yeah, but I, I could hear, even though we're recording this now and people won't listen to it for days or weeks to come. I can already hear the eye rolls of people when they hear that term. <laughs> Uh,
1: so we got to the divine service and we opened to hymn number two, 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 and I was wearing my tie and my suit. None of that was true. Um, no, but so we just we've been having church for the last couple. This just this last weekend, just for the first time, two months, seven weeks, whatever it has been, and it was it was really tough for us collectively. I think for every church because on the one hand. This weekend was like a big celebration because finally we can all meet together after so long. But there's also this huge shadow of like the death of George Floyd and um, the lasting effects of COVID-19, the rioting, the racism, all this stuff that's happening all around the world. Yeah. And I thought I was preaching this weekend at my church and I was like, I can't not talk about it. I had another sermon planned, but I was like, I can't not talk about it, and I'm not the hero in this story, by the way. Um, but I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll preach a sermon around racism in the church, and knowing I'm a white man, I'm not even a New Zealander. I'm a, an Australian white man preaching about racism, and I thought, you know what? I've got to do it because, guaranteed, most of the churches in New Zealand, I'm not even going to go there. Because it's just not something that we talk about in our church. Um, so I did, and again, I'm not the hero because I don't have all the tools and equipment to be able to talk about this. And this is only the start of a discussion. But I had a little bit of a um, a little bit of a, a wander around the different churches. Those of them who put their sermons online to see what they were talking about. Of the churches, I think three of them. All of it was in very general terms, look at what's happening in the world today. Isn't everything terrible? All right, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 or something yep. along those lines. It was yeah. it's the, it's the same message, the same script. And look, I'm not knocking prophecy. We've talked about prophecy many times on this podcast. But when you have something like what is happening right now and you do not meet it with empathy and talking about how horrible racism is and how it divides people and how the church should be the antidote to racism because of Jesus and his death on the cross. I preached on Ephesians 2 about how the Jews and Gentiles are, you know, separated and they hate each other and how Jesus is like this ultimate, you know, bringing the two groups together into harmony. I was like, why are we not talking about this right in this moment? Why are we going back to the same old script and just, it's just so dry and it's so predictable. And does it matter? I don't know that it does. Not in this moment. Maybe in a grand scheme it does. But this
0: is where it comes down to the fact that I think pastors generally struggle when it comes to pastoral care, that shepherding thing, especially corporately, um, because even individually, pastoral care is one of the most draining parts of ministry um, yeah. you can sit with someone f- or a family for an hour or two, uh, in in a really tough moment, and you go away, and all you can do is sleep, because yeah. it takes the energy out of you. And in in our version of ministry, uh, there's so much more that's required of you. So we try to avoid the areas that will drain us too much, so that we can focus on in the other areas that we need to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: And it's not good. I, we all do it to a certain degree. I think we all do it, even well, it's though own
0: preservation. You know, you, you want to make sure that you're offering the best version of yourself. But at the same time, offering the best version of yourself needs to be offered to the best situations as well. Yes, yes.
1: So um, I think which leads us pretty well into okay, spiritual gifting in pastors vocationally. Let's talk more about spiritual gifting in the church at large, um, 33 yeah. minutes in, uh, we'll we'll, find, we'll get to it. <laughs> um, but you started out with a, a really interesting statement that, um, to kind of launch us into this discussion of when we look at the different spiritual gifts and abilities present in our congregations, we often make assumptions as to who should go into what role, AKA, yeah. um, teachers should be Sabbath school teachers or, you know, sound engineers should be on the sound desk or whatever the case may be. Um, I guess where do you want to start with this and why do you
0: think this is important for us to talk about? Well, I think it's important to talk about because with the the idea of teachers in Sabbath school classes or children's Sabbath school classes essentially, so school teachers in children's Sabbath school classes, the, the challenge that we have there is that that mentality for me is filling a role or filling a gap. It's not allowing people to minister in their area of passion or expertise. Um, so just because someone vocationally works with children, that doesn't necessarily mean that's their spiritual gift. It certainly could be a gift. It certainly could be an area they have skill in. But has God equipped them in that way, for the church. Now, the other challenge that we have is, in in you know, teachers must be children's Sabbath school leaders. Is the whole notion that uh, we're really only functioning to serve ourselves rather than to do ministry for kingdom growth for for a lot of the time. Um, so, when it comes to say children's Sabbath school being school teachers, what would happen? you know for and, and this is i suppose a challenge at some specific schools or some specific churches where that school teacher teaches at the local adventist school of which those kids are in that sabbath school class and there can be too much of a crossover at times um and you've got this issue where perhaps at school you're you're Mr Smith but at church you're John um yes. and so they, that can be confusing as well so you've got the relational aspects to to consider but spiritual gifts are more than just where is your gifting? Because if you ever fill out a spiritual gifts profile or a spiritual gifts test and you said you've done about 300 of them, the questions are always geared in such a way of where do you, have you had experience in this area? Where do you find this brings you joy? Those sorts of questions. Mm. Um, and the reason you're answering the questions the way that you're answering them is because you've only been exposed to particular areas of ministry. Mm. Um I I may be brilliant as the church cleaner. Um, I don't know what specific spiritual gift that is. Hospitality, perhaps. <laughs> Cleanliness. Um, it's it's next yeah. to godfreeness. God godfreeness. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I won't know whether that's actually an area I find joy in unless I'm given opportunity in it. Mm. Um, so I'm working at the moment uh with a church plant um and one of the challenges i think is that we look at specific areas of church life almost as though you can only have a role in that area yes if you're a certain age um and so we'll have teachers in children's ministry areas but not necessarily in church leadership areas mm. um unless you you know unless you're 45 or 50 then you can come into church leadership but the people who perhaps know how to lead in children's ministry areas um, or that we're wanting to put in just to to run a Sabbath school might actually be really good in leadership. Yeah. Um, and so there's this this profile that we need to start developing that is not so much of what are my spiritual gifts, what should I do when I serve for the kingdom? but also what are my passions? What actually brings me to life? What brings me excitement when it comes to, to serving in ministry? And then the other thing that we also need to consider is how should I serve? What is, what is my perhaps personality type? Whether you do like a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram type test, am I introvert? Am I extrovert? Because different personalities will only be well not only be but will be more beneficial in particular areas than other personalities. So my my challenge with the spiritual gifts test is it's really only measuring one of at least 3 elements to fully for lack of a better term staff mm. a church mm. which is you know another challenge i suppose for adventism compared to some other denominations is that You know, they have staff. We're volunteer-led. And so we are really needing to understand how our people think and operate in order to best find their place to fit in the church ministries.
1: Yeah. Um, So we're both married to teachers. Uh, Yeah. So I think think that example definitely hits close to home for both of us. Yeah. The amount of times that Karina has been asked to, or the the amount of times that I've been asked to ask Karina to do the kids' story or to lead the Sabbath school, and I've had to
0: say no without asking her because I'm like, no. Well, here's (laughs) my thing with that. Whenever I get to a church, my first conversation with the board is, I am here as your pastor. My wife is not here as your pastor. If you want her to be involved, by all means, but don't ask me to get her involved. You need yeah. to know her. You need to have a relationship with her to ask her yourself. I'm not even going to provide you with her phone number. Yeah, You need to have formed enough of a relationship with her to have her phone number in order to ask her to be involved. Yep. That's a good way to do it. That's a
1: good way. Because the reality is we have a system. It's a messed up system. So, look, I, I got a few church members who are like ex- Salvation Army, Pentecostal, all that sort of stuff, they see the, the pastoral wife as a pastoral team. Yeah. And many people still do. The only problem is they ain't paying her to be on the pastoral team. She's just the sucker who said yes to marrying the pastor or
0: he to her, you know, as often and the 30 case 30 years is. ago, that would have been okay because 30 years ago, both parties to a couple weren't needing to work to actually live to survive, right? That's also a really great idea. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I was going to say thanks, Boomers, but I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but you you I just mean, did, yeah. Economically, yeah, we live in a we live in a world where the 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 dream of the uh, the domestic goddess is not really it's
0: not really workable, you know. Um, Emma and Karina both they need to work. But here's the thing, though. You've got to, even in your marriage, in your home, you don't necessarily just go, oh, Karina is the female. She's going to cook. She's going to clean. She's going to rub my feet type of scenario. Exactly. Um, Although, Emma, if you're listening, foot rub (laughs) would go down really well. (laughs) Um, In my household, because of the job that I have, you know, Emma's at school all day. Um, Because of the job that I have, I'm at home more often than she is. So if I've got a moment, I'm going to vacuum, I'm going to wash the windows, yep. I'm going to clean the the dishes, I'm going to do the laundry, but that's largely because I have issues with how she does the laundry and I'm a bit OCD <laughs> in that way. Um, I'm going to start cooking dinner, even though she's a teacher who teaches home ec and she cooks right. amazingly. Right. Um, but it's not that, oh, I'm going to make you do that because traditionally we expect that totally um, it's i'm going to actually assist you because we're we're in this together we're a team we're working to towards the same goal which is that we can both just relax at the end of the day
1: yep yes and that's and that's what it's all about i i'm the same you know i think you know what i think most young pastors are. Uh, josh is, uh, josh Stollers is the same with this he does most of the cooking i do most of the cooking my brother he's not a pastor but he's the same as well cuz he's home his wife is a, is a teacher as well um, and he's a nurse, so when he's not in, uh, you know, in the ward, and work, he's at home. Yeah. He's going to cook. It's. I think it. I think it must be a millennial thing. Um, uh, it's interesting, you know, because I, talking to some of my friends who have become parents, it's interesting the reflections that they've had, where like the the wife will often be still working, or will you know have to be at home, maternity leave, then she goes back to work. And the husband will be doing a lot to help with the baby. And I've talked to friends where they're like, this is so weird because my dad never changed my nappy. My dad never fed me. My dad never did this. It was always my mum, you know, 30 30 years ago. The dad did nothing, basically. Or at least that's how they would have us believe it. And the mum did everything to do with the cooking and the cleaning and the baby and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, how how does that even work? Like, does the... Was this heaven where the male didn't have to do anything in the relationship? But it's like,
0: yeah. I I don't think know. This is the the challenge because, you know, I, I can almost hear some people going, oh, you're, you're, you know, breaking down the barriers between male and female oh, yeah. and all that kind of discussion. But biblically speaking, in that conversation, where where can you show me that the the wife is the one to be that domestic goddess and yep. the husband just sits watching Netflix with his feet up? Totally, even even to do with our
1: translation, like when we read Genesis chapter one and two, and it depicts how God makes a helper, um, we think of helper as the slave or the servant. Yeah, but the biblical world word isa is completely different. It's the perfecter. It's the completion. It's yeah. totally different. It's the equal. The equal, yeah. Equal partnership. Um, yeah. 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 We're veering off, man, but I, I'm yeah, sorry. it's yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which you touched on. And I was like, I, I really think it's, it would be helpful for us to talk about this is this idea of what makes you come alive when it comes to your spiritual gifting, because in my experience as a church pastor, there are very few people, and this is going to sound really uh, negative. There are very few people that I know who if I was to ask them in your role, whether you're the deacon taking up the offering or the kids ministry person or the person on the sound desk or whatever, is this? does this bring you like supreme divine joy? Like, does this make you feel alive and happy mm. to be a Christian? Does this like energize you i would say that most people would be like no either it's okay i can deal with it or it's a draining and i'm burning out um i i I don't know about you man but when it comes to some of the i suppose staff management human resources management when it comes to that uh, part of my role most of that is trying to fill positions where somebody has burnt out or they've quit, or somebody's done something to upset them, and so they've quit, or whatever. And it's just the worst. <laughs> yeah. It's just the worst part because I want to believe that you, as a person, AKA the person listening to this, or whatever, you have a spiritual set of giftings and abilities that God has given you that, when applied in a specific area of ministry, Make you absolutely come alive. Yeah. And that fills you, fuels you, makes you excited to be a follower of Jesus, and helps you to be able to uh, encourage other people to be followers of Jesus as well. Yeah. But that seems like a fantasy most of the time, at least in my experience, in my real world experience. And I want to believe that it's true, but it's sometimes hard for me to believe that it's true given that, given the reality of what I deal with. I don't know. What do you
0: think on that? I, I think that's, you know, that's that filling the role, filling the gap type of thing. Like how many times have you been at a church and just saw the person leading the praise and worship section, whether you're singing more contemporary or more traditional songs, and they've just got a scowl on their face? Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. That, that just should not that... Bring you joy, if that's your spiritual gift, if that's what you're doing for God. But I think part of the challenge is that we've almost made the roles about the Sabbath experience rather than ministry and kingdom building. Um, So children's Sabbath school is a great role um, for Sabbath because obviously we're there. Um, and it certainly can build the kingdom. Um, but when it comes to things like, you know, one of the changes that I've tried to make in churches that I've been a part of is that teen ministry is not about teen Sabbath school. It's about teen ministry. Mm. Um, it's what happens during the week. Are you socializing together? Are you caring for these people? And so one of the the challenges is firstly recognizing that the roles are not necessarily Sabbath specific. you know, biblically, again, the deacon-deaconess role, taking up offering and lifting the cloth off the communion table, like <laughs> I, I, I can't make an argument for that. Um, <laughs> we've just we've taken a term and utilized it in a church context, a meeting context, but forgotten the the meaning of the role. So we look at even Jesus. Um, as you know the ultimate example uh, didn't have the title pastor mm. as, as we would expect um, certainly had thousands um, of people that were following him but had 12 that he really was close to and then three that he really invested in. So from a pastoral care perspective maybe we need to think about the fact that we can't expect the pastor to pastorally care for 150 people in this congregation if Jesus really only did three to 12.
1: Um, I know of a pastor who, when we were going through Avondale, he was so proud of the fact that he he did a professional development with us. He was so proud of the fact that he visited every single member in his congregation. But when he broke down his weekly schedule, that's just about all he did. He didn't do anything else because he couldn't, because he had like a thousand people on his
0: role. Yeah. Um, Ridiculous. Kudos to him if he can do that. Yeah, yeah. Like all power to you. Um, I, I look at my congregations and I try to really encourage when, I, when I'm there that the structure that we have can be utilised in a way that really benefits the ministry of the church. So I as a pastor am primarily, not saying solely, but primarily responsible for ministering and walking alongside and discipling with the elders and mm. their families. Mm. Um, I do a level of that with the board, but not necessarily to the same extent. Um, but what I then expect is that the elders do that primarily with the board members and their families. And mm. then the board members do that primarily with the ministry teams that they are responsible for. And it's hopefully- like a trickle-down effect. Yeah, hopefully everyone is then pastorally cared for in that way. Now, you often will miss out on people that way because not everyone is involved in the ministry aspects of the church that we have. And that's where, you know, having a team of pastoral carers, of elders and pastors really helps in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, if I as a pastor don't have the spiritual gift of pastoral care, how do I train and equip my church members to have that spiritual gift. So it's really important for me to know who has that gift in my congregations, which is why I think a spiritual gifts assessment is a really solid tool, something that we we kind of need to have to understand what the current giftings are so that we can draw on the experiences of people to help train and equip the greater church as well. So mm. by, by way of example, um, I have in one of my previous congregations, I had a couple of people who were really good at finance. Um, Now, one of the ministries we could offer as a church is like financial management kind of courses. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't, but we could have. Why would I as a pastor take that course? (laughs) Like let me draw on the experience of these three or four people over here to take that course. Those people certainly could then as a spiritual gift church role, could come into the treasury team um, and that's great, but wouldn't it be better if they weren't the treasurer but perhaps a mentor to the treasury team equipping people in an area that they might have an interest in but have never had experience in? Mm. Could they not help develop a spiritual gift in someone rather than just kind of going, oh, you're, you're an accountant, that's your job.
1: We have one accountant at my at my church, and if she ever moves away, or think we're not going to have a head treasurer, it's going to be it's going
0: to be horrible. It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this is where yeah. that discipleship part of of ministry comes in as a crucial aspect. And you know, discipleship again is a spiritual gift. Um, can we teach people how to disciple? Because you know, you've you've been in the ministry for this is your fifth year. Fourth yeah. year, some, something yeah, like year. that. Yeah. Um, you know, we we had this idea of the pastor has to give almost all of the, the Bible studies to people for baptism. Yep. Yep. I, I don't understand this. Why? Um, sh- yeah, anyway, that's a whole it's, other discussion for another time. Go therefore make disciples. <laughs> <laughs> Not, yeah. Go therefore you- pastor and make disciples of everybody on your own. <laughs> No, but it's you give the Bible studies to get someone to baptism as though that's the discipleship pathway. And then once they're Uh, baptised, all right, you've baptised that person, now go give this person a Bible study. Well, who's now discipling the person you were just studying with? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I I see all of these gaps... Um, if we're just focusing on spiritual gifts because in smaller congregations, you're not going to have everyone or all no. of the spiritual gifts listed to cover off all of the ministry areas. That's actually a possibly a positive thing mm. because it allows you to then have someone potentially step up into a space that is not their ordinary gift mm. area, something they've mm. experienced, and they might give it a go and find that, hey, This actually is not just an area that I don't have a gift in because the spiritual gift, as I said earlier, is based around what experiences you've already had. Yeah. Um, But it might find a passion area where you can then develop that gift. Once you get training in something, you might find that it really is a gifted area. You know, the spiritual gift of music, the people that we have up on the the stage that might lead us in song. Um, You only ever get that gift if you've actually been trained in music, generally speaking, except in the cases where the questions are geared, do you get joy out of singing? Right, right. most people will answer yes to that question. But most people should not be on the stage. Correct. So (laughs) then we're going to have discernment, which is yet another spiritual gift. Yes, Um, yes. And when it comes to our process of filling roles, the nominating committee being that process, you need to you need to use discernment in filling those roles, not as a notion to fill the role, but to to. I don't want to um, exploit the church members, but you want to capitalize on church members' gifts, talents, and passions in such a way that it helps the kingdom.
1: But I think that's the fine that's the fine line, isn't it? That's the fine line and the tension that we have to live in between exploitation. And setting somebody loose in their area of joy, you know, and or and or expertise, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Right. Because ideally you want a situation where it's a win win. The church benefits as well as the uh, as well as the person, whoever is uh, in this role, they actually have an opportunity to um, to to grow and to develop and to see their gift grow and multiply and become bigger than it was before, which benefits them and it benefits the church. But if you have that person in a position where, yes, let's say they're a music major or they're a professor or whatever, and they're really good at that stuff, but having to deal with people and their team and all the stuff that they yeah. have to deal with is absolutely just so draining. Yes, they might be beneficial for the, to the church for a while, but after a while, they might start to feel used and that might actually drive them to burn out or to quit or to have a falling out with the leadership or whatever. That's not that's not healthy. So, it's such a hard
0: tension to, to manage. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a, a tough thing because we are dealing with people. We're not dealing with gaps. Um, yeah. The nominating committee process... Um, oftentimes we'll deal with, and before before I say that, for those who are listening who are not aware of the traditional nominating committee process that we follow, um, every year or two, depending on the congregation, um, the church will elect a team of people. Um, mm. According to the church manual, it should be the board plus like seven others, um, which for some churches means that your committee should be 37 or 40 people. Um, but it's just most insanity. Of Most of us are gone, that's not practical. So we'll elect a team of maybe seven, nine, 11 people. So we've got that majority option. And they then take a list of all of the church positions, um, elders, deacons, children's ministry, uh, treasury team, hospitality team, greeting team, worship team, and they will take that list and then ask people to fill those specific roles from within the congregation. What would happen if instead of, we, instead of us doing that, and this would be a longer process, but I wonder whether it would be more beneficial, what would happen if instead of doing that we took a list of church members and went through that list and said, Susie, what's her passion and gift? Mm. What role could she find in church? John, what could he do? Terry, what could she do? And went through... Every church member to try and find a way that they can contribute to church in mm. a way that will capitalize on their, their gifts and talents and passions so that they won't burn out uh, and that the church will receive that benefit and they will receive that joy that comes from serving in an area that really feeds them as well. It would take significantly longer. But would it be better for the overall goals and objectives of of the church. The other challenge that we have if we do that is at the end of it we go, oh, but we now no have no longer have anyone to lead Pathfinders or we no longer have anyone to lead this ministry or that ministry. Well here's the question. If you don't have someone competent to lead the area, why have anyone at all? But
1: Josh, we have to have a men's ministry And a signs of the times ministry and we have to do this and we have to have a library like, yeah. No, I I hear you, man. I hear it because like this is my experience with nominating committee is we ask a bunch of people. Most people say no. We twist quite a few arms. We twist quite a few arms. We cajole, we threaten, we plead, (laughs) we bribe. And then we end up getting most of the roles filled and then we operate the rest of the year with these wide blank spaces for ministries that still get budgets, but there's nobody to run them.
0: (laughs) Or we have people in roles, but we've twisted their arms to such an extent that they've accepted the role without any real passion. So they're not really going to do anything with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the other challenges, I suppose, and this is this is a whole other discussion that we could have, yeah. um, is once we appoint or elect someone to a role, we then need to empower them mm. with the ability to make decisions, to spend the money within their budget without second guessing what they're doing. Yeah. So long as it's heading in the same direction as the goals and objectives of the church, we need not second guess them. We need to give them permission to fail if they need to, but we also need to be there as a church community to pick them up and give them encouragement to have another go.
1: It almost sounds like as we're talking about this that the idea of spiritual giftings and abilities, because I think there is a difference between spiritual gifts and abilities because like there there's stuff that you have that's kind of like unique to you, but then there's certain things that you can cultivate over time, skills and you know that sort of thing. It's almost like that picture of people with spiritual giftings and abilities was not really created with the weekend service model in mind. Almost seems incompatible. Not completely incompatible, but certainly not ideal for doing ministry in that setting.
0: Yeah, there's uh, so many layers to this conversation that we just won't have time for. Yeah. But the the challenge that most churches are working through at the moment is what does church look like when we don't meet in a building? Yeah. Um, well, then what, you know, if your deacon is just taking up the offering and doing some property maintenance, what are they doing now? Um, you know, we've got those things to, to work through, but then... One of the discussions that churches hopefully are having, um, we had a a comment on Facebook a few weeks ago about talking a lot about church services, the weekend service, um, in relation to our response to COVID-19. And the question was, well, church isn't just about the weekend program. Should it not be about the all-encompassing life aspect of what happens during the week? Great question to ask. Maybe we need to then reinvent and go, well, if these spiritual gifts don't fit neatly in that weekend service model, how do they fit in a let's do a church kind of act style where we do meet together with church members during the week. We go out for coffee, we play soccer with people, Mm. whatever that looks like. Um, I think we might find that the church could grow more if we had an experience that was more, Every day rather than Saturday or Sunday.
1: Um, friend of the show, Caleb Isley, I don't know if you've seen this, saw this Facebook status, it kind of blew up on um, Sabbath morning this weekend. I was going to
0: say, Caleb posted about six things over the weekend. Caleb posts I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, but he had reason to this weekend. Let's, let's, true. A lot of what he says actually, even though he might post a lot, his job is to post on social media. Totally. Um, he's really good at it. Most of the things he say, he says make you pause to stop and actually listen. But over the course well, of the weekend with the George Floyd stuff and the Black Lives Matter marches, there was a lot happening.
1: Yeah. Well, this one definitely made me stop and pause. Um, here's what he says. Um, nowhere, and he says nowhere four times and it's in capitals. I don't know if you saw this one, Josh, I but did. it says... Okay, great. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we need to sing from the hymnal. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we need a children's story. Nowhere in the Bible is the Sabbath school slash sermon format commanded. Nowhere in the Bible does it say what time to start a church service. So why are so many of us trying to operate under the same template? When churches reopen, why not delete the bulletin and come up with something new? Definitely made me stop and pause. I think the terrifying thing here is, at least for me and probably for most people, is that when I read that, I go, "Yes, that's that's spot on, that's great." But then when do about it? (laughs) But then when it actually comes to it, it's like, I don't know what to do. So let's just fall back on what we know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We need to give ourselves space to dream, not just as, you know, Josh and Jesse today, not just as Caleb on Facebook, but as a church, do we actually provide time to stop with key teams or even the whole church and say, what could things look like if we did things differently? What would be acceptable as a way of doing things differently? But because we get so busy and so focused on the Sabbath or the Sunday program, we go and put all our energy into getting the best worship set and a powerful sermon, dynamic preacher, great graphics where greeters are on point, the coffee's on point if you're a church that's serving that, Um, your children's ministries have got great activities, the children's stories not just a let's sit and read a story but you've got the, the teens and the youth doing this drama thing and there's so much focus put into that that totally. by the end of the, the program we're all just spent that we're not giving ourselves permission to dream, we're not giving ourselves space to dream and instead we just get on planning the next program. Yeah, Yep.
1: I This is a terrifying time for a lot of churches. I think it has been for a few months now given that this has been such an unstable time and many churches have risen to the occasion and many of them have really struggled through. I I just, I, I think the prevailing thought that I keep coming to and that I keep hearing from you and from so many other people is that we cannot go back to the way things were like, this cannot be a temporary interruption. Um, Kerry Newhoff talks about this. He talks about what is it? The difference between an interruption and, uh, and a
0: disruption. A,
1: a disruption. Because a disruption, a disruption forces
0: you to pivot and look at yeah. things in a totally new way. You move
1: in a different direction, and I think this is this has to be a disruption. It's kind of it's a negative word, but at the same time I think that it also provides opportunities, and I think yeah. that that has to be something that we take very seriously. Yeah. Um
0: Yeah. The the challenge is ultimately if your spiritual gift has only been able to be used in church, then it's not truly a spiritual gift because a spiritual gift is a part of you. Yeah. Um, And this disruption is showing to me, at least so many passion areas that church members have that I had no clue of. Mm. Um, And that's, That's a blight on me as a pastor not being aware of the passions of my church members. Um, But it's also showing me that church members are not necessarily scared to stand up for things and to try things differently, but they've been caught up in this mould, this this restrictive way of doing things because they perhaps want to say face... um, most likely it's they want to keep relationships healthy and yeah. there are a generation of people or generations of people that really are comfortable with the way things are. And so the other balance that we need to look at when it comes to what things could look like is ensuring that we don't leave anyone behind. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's such a good point. I think, yeah, often in our haste and our... um passion to, to break new ground, it's definitely
0: possible to, to leave people in the dust and we don't want to do that. Um, I had a conversation with um, David Gillespie, David Coyt mm-hmm. and Michael Petrie from Innovation Church up in South Queensland. Um, this past Sabbath they they helped uh, me with one of my church services. Um, really interesting conversation they're just uh, not planting a church but replanting a church. Interesting. Um, and Michael made a, a comment there which was so profound. He's studying international business, um, looking at change management and he said sometimes the only way to get through the ice, this this is my abridged version of what he said, sometimes the only way to get through the ice is not to wait for it to melt but to smash it. Hmm. Um. There are times we need to smash through the ice, but there are also times that we need to allow the ice to melt um, mm. and get get the change that we might want or need happening that way. This conversation has gone from here to here to here. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. So there's so much that you know, we've kind of just touched on and not gone into because the, the focus of the episode is, you know, spiritual gifting and how it fits the church. Um, and spiritual gifting is something that is necessary for us to recognize that every church member has. But it's not, it shouldn't so much be for how can we utilize it for the church. It should be how can we utilize it so that this person, this child or daughter or son of God is just invigorated to do ministry. Mm. Um, And far too often it's been used in such a way, how can we exploit this person's gifts in such a way that the church can be sustained or preserved?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I love what you said before and I think this is, yeah, the best way to sum it up. Um, It's part of who you are, you know. It's not something that you can just turn on and off like a tap. You know, you, you don't just come to church on a weekend and suddenly spiritual gift is activated. That doesn't, that's just not how it works. If, if your spiritual
0: gifting is what's what, what, what picture did come to mind when you did that? I'm just thinking, yep. we got worship practice on Wednesday night, but my spiritual gift for, for playing the guitar is only active on a Sabbath morning.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it just, it doesn't how it's not how it works. Um, if your spiritual gifting isn't activated throughout your daily walk, then ah oh man, we're like stunting people's growth. It's like watering a plant once a week. You know, if you yeah. live in a hot climate, it's gonna Depends die. Depends on the plant, I suppose. It does depend <laughs> on the plant. Recently, I've been growing parsley and I've been overwatering it, so now it's dying because it's being I've been overwatered. Been doing
0: the same with basil.
1: Ah. Oh. Mamma mia anyway yeah um (laughs) but like if you're if you're in a hot climate what thing do you miss about
0: childhood not (laughs) discussing plants and watering techniques
1: (laughs) (laughs) the amount of boring things that my childhood self would have been like you get excited about herbs yeah um you know if you water a plant once a week you might be able to keep it alive but only just it's like it's like why we say you don't just eat once a week, you know. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about spiritual nurture and devotions and all that sort of thing, same is true for spiritual gifting. If you have a spiritual gift and you're not using it at least daily, weekly, you know, in Regularly. different arenas,
0: you use it or lose it, buddy. I don't know. Alive or thrive? That's, that's the question we need to ask. Do we just want to exist with that gift? Do we just want to exist as a Christian? Or do we want to thrive with the, the gospel mandate that's been given to us yeah
1: you know i think a really good example of a spiritual gift well well used is brooke fraser um yeah i'm i'm a fan of i'm a fan of her you know i recently watched a um a hillsong worship and creative conference session that she did on prophetic worship which is something that i'd never really thought about but i liked the title so i watched it i'm not a huge hillsong guy i, I like him but I'm pretty impartial when it comes to their stuff. Um, But watching her talk about prophetic worship, which is something I'd never thought of before, and just reflecting on her life, she is a Grammy award-winning artist. She has um, done music in the Christian arena, the secular arena. She has won numerous awards over her lifetime. Um, and she's also just this really down-to-earth person who is like in the slipstream of her gifting and she is just coasting that slipstream and she is absolutely going from strength to strength from, you know, writing songs all the way back when to, you know, all the her most recent songs, you know, what a beautiful name is this huge anthem that has just been so well-loved by the church. It's just... Her life is evidence of a life well used and well lived in her spiritual gifting. She has found that niche. She has used it. She has been faithful and God has blessed her. And I just really mourn if there are people like Brooke Fraser in our congregations, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, who if given the proper nurture and care, they could be the next Brooke Fraser. But we limit them. And we tell them they can only use their gifting in a particular way and we misuse their gifting yeah. and they miss out on all of that. And it may not be worldwide fame. That, that's, you know, that, that is what it is. But in terms of the excellence, the heart, the growth, that's what we're looking for. And I think that's what I want to see people grow into. And mm. we just need to be able to nurture that and
0: not stunt it. And the the beauty of that example is that, as you said, there's the the secular versus Christian um, examples of how her gift has just permeated her life, but her gift hasn't just been constrained to her local congregation. Her gift is so well nurtured and so well honed that it has benefited the kingdom of God right around the world rather than just this congregation over here because you showed up and unlocked the church and carried up an offering. Absolutely. Now, that's not to dismiss the people who show up. I think that in and of itself is a gift. Um, (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But, you know, and as you said, not everyone's going to have that worldwide fame. Yeah. But we just need to be faithful in the, the areas that God has gifted us in and step into the life that God has given us passion and ability in. And through that, I think everyone's going to be blessed, whether it's just a a church on weekends type thing versus a, uh, you know, all through the week, you could have the spiritual gift of music and just be humming a tune at work in the secular world and that could bless someone. You don't know how much those small details might actually matter. Um, so I think we need to have a bigger vision of what church life looks like.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I think I think that's all the time we really have for for this. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Josh, for uh, leading us on this really, really interesting. Um, discussion, as I think you, we've mentioned many times already, there are so many of these little side rabbit holes that we could totally just jump down and spend some time. I in. think I think we jumped down two of them and quickly tried to get back out. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, if you guys enjoyed this uh, this discussion, please uh, send us an email. Let us know what you thought. Um, you can, of course, find everything Burn the Haystack related on BurntheHaystack.org. Um, our links for our socials and uh, email f- contact form and all that sort of stuff is uh, is, is all there. Um, and if this is the first time you've listened to Burn the Haystack, welcome. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, if you'd like to um, listen to more, you can go and lo- listen to our past episodes. Um, hit that subscribe button and you will never miss out on a thing.
0: And um, we're going to challenge you. You've got a week to guess who that next Josh or Josh's will be. Who so- could it be? Get into YouTube, Burn the Haystack YouTube channel, get yep. onto our Facebook page, top your, type your guesses in, tag Josh's. There may be Josh's that we weren't even aware of yeah. that may be a, a, another Josh replacement at some stage in the the future. So tag them. Give us hints. Um, we we have very few Jessies as well that we could lean on. So- it's not a it's not a it's not a common
1: name. There there is uh there is of course one Jesse in particular that always makes his present known. Um, uh, you know who you are, Jesse, and we love you and we just adore you. when you think you're the man. Um, I, I did learn of one uh friend of ours who has recently had a child who named uh them Jesse, a boy, and I was very chuffed about that. So uh, that was named after no the other
0: Jesse, not you.
1: Well, you can't have it all, can you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, blessings, you guys. We'll talk to you again next week. Josh, do you wanna
0: do you wanna lead us out? Yeah, that is the other Josh and Jesse out. Ah, love it. Cool. Thanks,
1: man. Appreciate you.